from Willoughby Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, this is episode 5 of New Problems, the Spiritual Gift of Encouragement. There are years in my life I talk about, and there are years in my life that I don't. Now I get that people appreciate knowing things about people, but not perfect things. And I'm an overall pretty respectable guy, so I have a few non-perfect things that I can get away with sharing. But even then, there are just some years we're not going to talk about. For obvious reasons, they're the years I'm ashamed of. I'm embarrassed. At their most fundamental, they're just years to where I watched too much ESPN and ate snacks upon snacks I didn't pay for. These years copy-pasted the same irrelevant days for seasons upon seasons. Time and day stacked upon each other with little more to show for it. I kind of sucked. The Hebrew scriptures have a word to describe these years. They're called barren. To be clear, I'm not using this word to describe barrenness medically. The scripture is using barrenness to describe a feeling, a situation, an atmosphere. I want to so clearly affirm that having kids is not a matter of good or bad or God's will or God's punishment. If the Mennonites have a podcast about encouragement, go listen to that one. Maybe they have an answer about barrenness as it pertains to babies. But for us today, we're discussing a spiritual reality, one that's no less brutal to consider. Because barrenness is more than just empty space. Barrenness is useless space. Barrenness is an environment that cannot produce life. Barrenness is the concrete with no cracks for even the weeds to break through. Life happens upon it, but life cannot happen through it. It has no real ending because life can't even begin. It's tough, but when I read these scriptures and take the opportunity to receive the spirit of what is being shared, I think about barrenness and I think there are things worth considering this year and in these times. This is from 1 Samuel. There was a certain man from Ramatham whose name was Alkanah. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. But Hannah had none. In an ancient text from more than 3,000 years ago, the spirit of heaviness upon that word barren, it evokes so much. It's still so thick. We are invited to sit with Hannah in the heaviness, to breathe those choked breaths, to feel her uncertainty, the sense of a life and future lost before it ever began, the reality of living day to day with a shame in sight of other people. The story continues. Year after year, Elkanah went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh. Whenever the day came for Alkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Penina and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion because he loved her. And the Lord had closed her womb. 
because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? These are the years Hannah does not want to talk about. Penina, unfortunately, has a lot to say. Penina, the rival, she assesses her situation, the children, the husband. She likes what she sees. She gets her share, the portion. She has a family. And with these things comes a certainty about her situation that becomes an opportunity to mock Hannah's barrenness. It's cruel to take her assessment and use it as a platform, a finger to point with, and a chance to condemn. In the same way, Hannah's barrenness gives her husband the same opportunity to fill an empty space that is not for him to fill. When he asks, why are you weeping? He is in effect demanding, Hannah, stop weeping. Hannah, start eating. Ultimately, Hannah, be happy. Because these are years filled with actual days where shame is the loudest voice playing in her head. The loudest voice she assumes is everyone else's when she walks into the room. So she doesn't really feel like eating. We live with our voices no matter what or who is around. I feel very much alive in 2020, but I honestly feel very much like myself from the years I don't want to talk about. The story I tell myself is that I have decided to follow Jesus, but I'm honest enough to check the data. The numbers say that Instagram mathematically knows I will linger on pictures of Demi Lovato or soccer tweets or 40-second inspirational videos from megachurch pastors, and then I'll go back to Demi Lovato. I want earth as it is in heaven, and I kind of really want just to go back to bed. This is barrenness, that I have a phone six inches from my face and a Bible someone gave me once under the bed next to Connect Four. This is barrenness when the truest version of myself has years filled with dirty sheets and nothing cooking in the oven. My day is just a comic book stripped, oversized and oversized pants with me in the center of every frame for everyone to see. You know how in the comics, even the ones that last for decades, everyone stays the same age because time is a social construct in a comic strip? That's us. Hannah and I deciding to follow something bigger than ourselves, wondering though if we're just a three-act joke that lingers through the years and nothing ever changes. So I feel very much like myself, and history gives me the evidence to know exactly what burying this is, and that's terrifying. Because the people who've trusted me the most know exactly what my barrenness looks like too. I have witnesses with receipts on red. They know so much. They know what I think about myself when I'm spending too much time alone, off the grid, in your heads. 
I've used people, taken without giving, buried my best ideas, and let friends worry about my well-being without a response because I was ashamed of the years I don't talk about. This is barrenness. And so after years, lived through ordinary, brutal days, Hannah prays. Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. This is a prayer of the barren. And this is a prayer that is so very good. Because while we know it's vital to pray about everything, and we know that there's no right formula for the right answer that you want, Hannah has so many insights here for the barren and for those who've forgotten what barrenness feels like. Because we know this isn't a quid pro quo. This isn't a negotiation. She isn't asking for the cruelty to spot and she'll sacrifice her son to make it so. And she isn't asking for Penina's portion. She's got something bigger in mind. She says, let my requests be the answer for your prayers, God. She says, how do I pray in alignment with what God is praying for. Let's work together. Because this is the nature of being a blessed person. When answered prayers become opening up your thinking and living like it's an open door for good to find a path through you and for others. Her prayer is for the work of God to begin and continue. Her son is not to silence the voices of her accusers. Her son is to break away from the parameters of the house and live upon a spiritual timeline that's bigger than her, that's bigger than the husband, and bigger than Penina. Her prayer is one of partnering with and committing to stewarding the answered prayer for the rest of her life. Hannah's blessing gives us such insight because if her dopey husband could give a double portion for her just because he had compassion and he cared for her, how much more does God have in the possession to give? She says in her song of praise in chapter two, she who was barren has born seven children. But she, who has had many sons, pines away. This is not how I think about blessing. The barren bearing seven children. I think about the bearing just getting a bite to eat and being satisfied. I have barrenness PTSD. Of course, at this moment, I'm probably not barren. My beard is growing okay. I have three buttons unbuttoned on my shirt. I made an omelet this morning with pancetta and feta cheese for breakfast. I'm listening to the new Taylor Swift no ads because I've been paying for Spotify for years. I am drinking a pomegranate seltzer. I'm fine. 
So if I'm feeling barren in this moment, it isn't because I'm living like Hannah. It's because I've settled for Penina's portion in my life. It's because I've just enough good allotted to me to not need to weep, and I have too much to know what to pray for. Because the Penina portion is a locked compass. Settling for the Penina portion is when we're confined to what we can see and assume and confirm that that's enough. Penina's understanding of what blessing is is limited because she was comparing her blessing with what she saw Hannah was lacking. Penina's barrenness actually began when her place and life and her family felt firm enough and began and ended with all that she could see. She had nothing to pray for what God could work with. And so the Penina portion is a dead end. Consuming massive amounts of pomegranate seltzer is not what new life is offering. That's not the antidote to barrenness. It's about making space to imagine and reimagine what's possible for you and through you. The spirit of Penina is a spirit when you have a life you're comfortable enough talking about and living in public enough that you really are just limited. The spirit of Penina is a spirit when you have a life you're comfortable enough talking about and living in public. So much so you really limit the reality of what's possible. When I ask someone what they would want me to join them in prayer for, and they don't have an answer because they say everything is good, I'm shocked. And if there is a spirit of brokenness, we are called to draw near and be with, the spirit that there is nothing to pray for because everything is good is one I do not want to be around. Because let's not confuse the illusion of comfort for anything other than a barren spirit. Because we're content with the Penina portion, not the seven sons were invited to speak out and prophesy for. The Penina portion has nothing to do with God. This may be a year you can talk about, but that does not mean it's a year you are invited to settle for. There's a big story about barrenness in the Hebrew Bible. It is brutal. Decades later, David, the highly favored and anointed king, reemerges into his capital with a caravan. There is music, there's life, and he is dancing before his God with relentless joy. Here's the story. When David returned home to bless his household, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people, Israel, 
I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this. I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. And Michael, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. It's tough to read. And it's tough to want to make sense of that. But the notion for me is Michael just missed the moment when Michael is not permitted to have children. It's just the way of saying God cannot work with her. She is too familiar with the old regime. She's too familiar with the way things are. She's too assuming of how things are supposed to be in this moment, in this movement of David, the high and favored one of God. If you are missing the sign of the times, you will miss the posture of what it takes to make and keep new life possible. If life is about how you are seen and what you are seeing and a life that you can live and speak about in public, you cannot imagine a barren womb producing seven sons. And so you will get none. Hannah's like me. We're growing a beard in public. If her beard is her barrenness, it had witnesses. But her faith is messy. It had witnesses too. Eli the priest, the other dweeb in the story, sees her in the temple praying and accuses her of being drunk and to stop being drunk. She explains herself, says her prayer. Eli gets a clue. He says, go your way. And let it be so. And the text concludes, Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. And this is the best ending. Yes, she gets a child, Samuel, who she raises and is a massive voice in the life of his generation. And of course, wouldn't we just want to just spend nine months away off the grid from our enemies and reemerge with a baby that's cute and clean and show up to the table with a smirk that says, what up, bitches? But that's not realistic. We grow our beards in public. We live in faith before we have evidence of what's happened. So if there's you and it's 2020, and this is the season of barrenness you will compare all others to, and these are the years you will not want to talk about. I'm offering you a word. Just get back to the table first. Catch a revelation of what's possible. Accept today, knowing that you are not barren. You do not have to compare today with any other day. You do not have to be satisfied with what's around. New life is making space for a bigger portion of good. For you and good through you. Because there's a shift in your thinking, you can enjoy dinner tonight. The years I do not talk about may not be dinner talk, but they aren't going to keep me from the table. Because my life is a conscientious choice that I am partnering in the work that's bigger than me for those around me. 
So what's next is not a surprise when whatever is next is never in my hands, but my expectation is my hands aren't big enough to receive it all to begin with. God, so much of our life is in the waiting. And we're so grateful that in our waiting, we are not asked to do it alone. Thank you for the friends listening. Thank you for making me a friend. And always thank you for your spirit, which is a voice of love, a voice of imagination, a voice of confidence, and most importantly, a voice of trust. We know your plans for me, for everyone listening, are good. Thank you for Hannah's life and thank you for her prayer. Keep us in alignment with the work around us and make our hands, our work, and our lives available to you in every way for that purpose. Reflecting blessing, your goodness, and our relationship with the one whose plans for all of us are yes and amen.